0: Welcome to another Griffith University podcast. Thanks very much everyone for coming along. Today we we have with us, and I'd like you to welcome uh, Dr Scott Downman, who's a lecturer in journalism with the School of Humanities here at Griffith, and he's just been telling us how busy they are. (laughs) (laughs) And today Scott's going to look at the extent to which media-based interventions like, um, like documentaries are effective in managing the effects of... Of uh, lowering or diminishing tra- uh, traditional values and leadership in remote Thai uh, village communities, basically, and a yeah. focus on things like human trafficking. That's right. So, forth. okay. Yeah. So, thanks very much, Scott. Thanks, Michael. Well, um, thanks for inviting me to come. I, as I said, I rarely get to the Nathan campus, so it's actually it's, it feels a little bit like coming home. So that's nice. Before I begin today, I thought I'd give a bit of a background, just in terms of. The research and how the, the whole research project has been developed. In, in 2003, while I was doing my PhD research here at Griffith, I had a, a bit over a year in Thailand doing field work. And while I was over there, I decided to volunteer with a local Thai NGO to fill in the time in between researching. And um, so I spent that year um, working with this organisation, which was the first um, organisation set up in Thailand to combat human trafficking. And, and for me, I was ignorant. I didn't know anything about human trafficking before I'd gone to Thailand. And it was a real learning, steep learning curve, um, working with young women who had been taken out of um, slavery for exploitative um, situations, and then they came to this centre. And uh, we worked mainly, my wife and I, worked mainly with Burmese girls who'd been trafficked, and we had we developed an English language curriculum for them. And for me, that sparked the interest in this whole area of, Exploitation, whether it be sex slavery, uh, labour exploitation, a whole range of things. And then after that, I, I came back to Australia. I got a job at Griffith working as a journalism lecturer and then got a, a new researcher grant to go back and, and look at media-based interventions in dealing with and preventing human trafficking and these sorts of issues. In 2007, after being at Griffith for a few years, I was a little bit jaded, and so I... Um, <laughs> I handed my resignation in, and after I got a, 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 consult, a consultation pro, um, thing with AusAid to go over there and work on a two-year project, and the head of school at the time refused to accept my resignation and said, go away for two years and have a think about it. Anyway, I came back. I don't know why, but I came back. So anyway, I went over and I worked on an a AusAid-funded project in province in the northwest of Thailand working with youth who are at risk of being exploited um, into a whole range of things. And it was really during this time that um, I saw how media was being used, but also we integrated that into the program that we were working with. And this research is really looking at some of the outcomes that have come from that two years of living and working over there. So in terms of the background... In recent years, government and non-government organisations have seen the value of creative media use in community development work. For me personally, I've worked as a journalist since 1992, so I have a strong media background. I worked for News Limited before phone hacking was cool and then, and then left to go into government PR. This sort of media I was completely unaware of until I'd gone to Thailand and saw it in, in, in practice over there. And these sorts of media interventions have been used globally in many forms, but are now being used as preventative strategies uh, in vulnerable communities to address a whole range of of, uh, terrible issues that people are confronting within these communities. There's a list of some of them, but human trafficking, drug and substance abuse, and what I call destructive cultural practices, which have huge ramifications uh, in terms of the quality of life, particularly for children within these communities. And an example of that would be child marriage, which is, um, was highly prevalent in the community that we lived in in Thailand, where kids as young as eight would be married off to 60-year-old men. Um, so there were, there were huge issues there associated with that and huge levels of abuse that, that came from that. So the data and the research has been, I guess, um, collected... Uh, following six years of research, three spent living in Thailand in what you would call at-risk communities, and from more than 200 interviews, most of those with victims of, of exploitation or trafficking. So there's, there's quite a, a huge basis um, from which the research has been built. So the focus is the role media play in addressing community-based issues, the value of culturally sensitive media products in the mother language of the indigenous communities. I worked in in Hmong communities in in Thailand, so I wasn't working with ethnic Thai, I was working with one of the the major ethnic minority groups there. And that's really important, because a lot of the media that had been done until recently had been done in English. And bizarrely, these English-language documentaries were created uh, against human trafficking, played in Thailand that very few people could actually understand and it just seemed bizarre to me that, I mean an example would be in in 2006 World Vision got millions of dollars from the US government to do media based interventions in Thailand and all of the campaigns were in English and I was like how do you justify that and when I contacted World Vision to ask them about their monitoring and evaluation of that the first two times they hung up on me and the third time they refused to comment and I've, I've consequently tried several times, I would say probably 50 times, to contact them and they refused to comment about it. They just said, we had six months to spend the money and we spent it. And that was their explanation for that. So I'm also looking at the rationale behind documentary productions as an intervention strategy, the types of documentaries that are produced. And this is the first comprehensive study, to my knowledge, uh, into the impacts of media campaigns aimed at countering human trafficking in Southeast Asia. It's a very new, broad area within my field of journalism that the, I guess the trendy word is communication for social change. That's, that's what it sort of falls under. But there's very little research that's actually being done into it. There's a lot of practice being done, but very little research is actually being completed. So the approach that I've taken is basically looking at some of the work that's been done and analysing the type of documentary work that's already been completed. And one I'll talk about today is a project that was done by UNESCO as a series of radio documentaries that was aired in Thailand um, in 2004-2005, which was hugely successful, and it dealt specifically as an anti-human trafficking initiative. I guess I worked on it very loosely, but I worked with a number of the women who were involved in developing that project. And then on top of that, I conducted it during my time with AusAid over there, two years of complex research and community-based activities in the north of Thailand that are source communities for human trafficking. So this included the, the interviews with NGOs and people who are victims or potential victims of trafficking. And I think that that's, that's really important to emphasise, is that I lived there for two years. And what I have seen is that there's this, so much this in and out... Um, research that's done, even with the UN, and they've highlighted that themselves, that they'll go in for three weeks and come out and then make sweeping generalisations about these communities. And so often they miss the mark. And I was at a conference last year in Singapore about these issues, and they highlighted that as a huge fundamental error within their own methodology. And um, they were looking at embedding their own people in communities for longer in order to get more accurate data about these complex issues. So I had the I guess the the joy of being able to be there for two years and to immerse myself within these communities. And I guess the essence of that was to build relationships with people, really deep and meaningful relationships. And they weren't just external relationships. We actually had three at-risk girls who were at risk. They actually had been approached by a trafficker and they were homeless and they ended up living with my family. So we actually had three young girls living within our family where we had fantastic opportunities to learn from them and their own experiences. And the last approach that I really want to emphasise is my methods are often a little bit out there, I guess you would say. And when you work in um, very different circumstances, sometimes the old quantitative-qualitative methodologies just don't work. And when you're working with kids who are frightened of a foreigner, scared of a foreigner or dealing with complex issues, they don't work. And so this research, a lot of it was developed using performative methodologies where kids would use non-numeric data and use symbols um, for us to collect data. So that included kids doing dramas, drawing pictures, telling stories, doing all of those sorts of things to over a period of years, the two years that we were there, and from that we were able to get a huge cross-section of these young uh, opinions and young feedback from these kids that we would never have got from an interview or from a focus group or something like that. In terms of the significance, well, the research has resulted in grassroots media-based strategies being developed and implemented, and after the two years, the organisation that I was with in Thailand applied to an NGO in Australia to pilot one of these documentaries uh, to target child marriage in the communities that they worked. And they worked in 14 villages with youth groups and there a 1,000 youth within those 14 villages that they were working with. And um, I'll talk about it a bit later on, but child marriage was identified by each of those communities as a major issue in, uh, that needed to be addressed. And the way the documentary idea actually developed was that we would go into the communities and, over a period of time, talk to the village leaders, talk to women, talk to the kids, and say to them, OK, what are the issues? And these things would come up repeatedly. And then we'd say to them, well, how, how would be a good way to deal with it? And then, after about six months, the village leaders were saying, well, it would be great to have some media in our own language. We never have media in our own language. It's always in Thai. And we don't like the Thai media. And if you've ever seen Thai media, you you know why. (laughs) Women women are punched by men. Kids are abused and kicked. Um, There are all sorts of complex issues that are seen. It's one of those bizarre paradoxes where uh, a man can punch a woman in the face on a Thai soap opera, but when the two kiss, there's a mask over their mouths so you can't see their lips touching each other. And there's some of the bizarre cultural anomalies that were there. But in one of the communities that we were at and working in, several of the kids were addicted to sniffing glue. And when we asked how they knew to sniff glue, they said they'd seen it on TV. And they thought that they would try it. And I kind of thought, wow. And it was really interesting that this is the first tribal TV generation in Thailand. It's the first group of young people that have ever been exposed to TV. And so the idea stemmed from their documentaries in our own language. So the whole process was driven by the community. And we had extensive consultation within these communities for them to develop the ideas. And then once they developed the ideas, we took it from there and it's turned into the project that it is today. Importantly, media on its own is a tool, but it won't be effective unless it's integrated within other community development projects. And so this media campaign is embedded in a much broader community development strategy that deals with health and education and food security in villages. And ultimately the aim is to build the capacity of communities to solve their own problems. So it's not just an outsider coming in, but it's the community. It's a grassroots approach. So just a couple of case studies. The first one is the UNESCO project. And in 2004, UNESCO, in partnership with uh, a Thai-based NGO called the New Life Centre, developed radio documentaries to combat human trafficking and labour exploitation. Because of the cultural relevance of storytelling to the Lahu culture, Lahu women working with a counter-trafficking project believed it would be a way of educating villagers in remote communities. And at that point, that's where the bulk of, of young girls in particular were coming from, was Lahu communities, remote areas in Thailand, Laos, Myanmar and southwest China. So it was if we could get into those communities and get them information, then maybe that would help in terms of a holistic education campaign. In terms of how it developed, well, the documentaries reflected the real-life stories of young girls who'd been trafficked from villages and who were now residents of the New Life Centre. Importantly, the script was written in the Lahu language by Lahu women to ensure cultural and linguistic relevance was embedded into the whole education campaign. And data for the documentaries was collected from interviews and focus groups with more than 300 victims of trafficking. So lots of young girls were involved. Uh, in the whole process. So the docos were made up of 30 and they were 10-minute programs aired three times a week and UNESCO was able to access Radio Thailand's um, transmitter in Chiang Mai to ensure that it went into China, Laos and, and Myanmar. It had a extensive coverage when it was aired. To accompany the documentary process, local musicians composed songs in the Lahu language highlighting the main themes of the docos and a CD was produced to accompany it. Before it was actually put on the radio, a test audience was put together to gauge what the community reaction would be. And it was overwhelming from the audience that this was going to be a a huge success and it has turned out to be an enormous success. The production entitled Yesterday's Sweet Flower followed the story of a girl, 14, who was recruited into the sex industry by traffickers. It followed her life, slavery and suffering after being trafficked. There's the cover of the CD that was produced to accompany it. And both those girls um, I worked with when we were in Thailand in 2003 at at the New Life Centre, and they actively were involved in the project. They wanted their stories out there because they believed it would have a huge impact. To give you some idea of the impact that it did have, when I interviewed people at UNESCO to see how they evaluated and monitored the success of it, they said... They conducted a quiz each week to see if people were actually listening to the the core elements of the documentary. And five CDs were given away as prizes, just as an incentive for people to get involved. And to get a CD, you had to call in and answer questions about the previous week's program. So they kind of grilled them a little bit about what they'd learnt. Each week they received more than 500 calls from Lahu communities across the greater Mekong sub-region. And when people were ringing up, they weren't just saying, oh, this is the answer, but they were saying, 10 minutes isn't long enough for these programs. We'd like them to be 30 minutes because we're just enjoying listening to something in our own language. And so they were getting really positive feedback. But they were also getting feedback from people in Lahu communities that didn't have radios. And so one thing that they did do was that they found out and they donated 200 sets of um, documentaries to villages where there was no radio reception or no radios. As an idea, the people at UNESCO thought that they would hold a concert in Chiang Mai um, as another form of education. And so they anticipated that two or three hundred Lahu people across the region might attend the concert in March 2005. Seven thousand people turned up from across the region. So there were seven thousand Lahu from, from Burma, Lao, who <coughs> illegally crossed into Thailand and come to this concert. And at the concert... They had people talking about their experiences of being trafficked. It's since been highlighted that this has been one of the most successful campaigns and now very few Lahu people are trafficked into the sex industry in Thailand given the word of mouth that has spread since this. So it's been hugely successful and really demonstrates that communication can have huge implications in terms of social change. Uh, UNESCO's David Feingold said the concert attendance showed the importance of incorporating local culture into media aimed at facilitating social change. Based on that, and the research that I was involved in in that project, last year I returned to Thailand to begin work on the first of two documentaries in the north of Thailand dealing with the issue of child marriage. November, December last year, we went out with local staff from a local NGO called the Mekong Minority Foundation and I trained the staff in documentary making, in filming and actually got the staff involved in every aspect of the whole process. The first one that we're shooting is child marriage but the next one that we will do is substance abuse dealing with things like glue sniffing, petrol sniffing and those sorts of things which are rife in tribal communities in the north of Thailand. (coughs) Having the local staff working as the key people in the project they were the producers the directors they went out and got all the people and organized the interviews was critically important in really developing and getting great interviews um, for that concept and as i said that the the concept was developed after extensive consultation with village leaders community development workers and and village-based focus groups to give you some idea of where it is the centrepiece is a town called Tawang Pa, which is about 60km from the Lao border. And around that community are Hmong communities, and that's where the project is based, in those Hmong communities. And the photo there is an interview that we're doing uh, during Hmong New Year last year uh, with one of the village leaders there who spoke out against child marriage after seeing so many kids broken within his own community. And to give you some idea of the implications, obviously a number of the kids, that when they get married they obviously don't want to be married. In in this community, one of the young girls was 13 and she'd been married to a much older man she'd ended up having a baby when she was 13 and she, she ran away and because there's a bridal price involved um, with the marriage transaction, when she went back to her family, her family said, no, you're not part of this family anymore, you're part of that family, you have to go back and she refused. So the family then refused to allow her into her home and they said, you can sleep with the chickens. So this girl was sleeping in the chicken coop with a baby, um, with no food, no support at all. And that was just one example within that village. Based on the research that we've done, there were probably 30 girls in the same situation as her who were living with families who had no support and had been rejected by their own families. So there are huge social problems with these young women. And what actually happens is that they eventually leave their village and then they get exploited into the sex industry in Thailand because they've got no support base once they leave. And this is one of the, I guess, the core issues with human trafficking in Thailand and labour exploitation is that a lot of the preventative strategies or the strategies that are used to deal with these problems are at the other end once they are so-called rescued from these situations. But very little research is done in, the, in terms of the communities where they come from and in terms of developing grassroots preventative strategies in those parts of the communities. So that's just one example. But in terms of performative methodologies, this is an example of of what I mean by that. And within the youth groups that we worked, or where we worked, we would often go and have youth forums. In one village that we went to, it it was a girls' youth forum, and it was just simply talking about goals and dreams for the future... One by one, the girls during this day that would have been 14 or 15 at the meeting started to cry. And when we asked them why they were so upset, they said for them they had no dreams because they said their future had already been mapped out and they knew that they would be married off very young. They were all aged between 13 and 15. And they said it's no use for us having any dreams because we know we're just going to end up in a marriage that we don't want to be in. And as we were talking through this, one of the girls drew this picture The key with these methodologies is that the picture becomes the tool for the young people to then talk. Often they don't talk without a tool, but if they have a tool to talk to, you get your data for your research. And the young girl drew this picture, and then she said to me, I said, well, what does the picture mean? And she said, this is the freedom that I dream for, but the freedom that I'll never have. And she went in and explained her situation. To cut a long story short, she'd already been married off, She was 12, and then the next year, after we'd gone back, she'd already had her first baby, so she was 13 and a mum. And so we used these continually, with, with particularly the young women, um, because it was a a wonderful tool to actually get into their life and allow them to open up and talk about their issues. And for them, they actually found it incredibly, from what they told us, it was an opening up that they hadn't, been able to experience before so the research was I guess beneficial um, for them in many respects too. So the project itself that I've been working on for the last year seeks to be sustainable by working with local Indigenous staff and getting them to know how to make a documentary so they can do it by themselves in the future. And selective members of the community have been involved in every aspect. So not only the shooting, but also the editing and all of those things. So it's grassroots community development, essentially. For them, the long-term aim is that there's a potential huge market in the Indigenous filmmaking industry with a huge refugee diaspora in the States, in Canada and Australia. So for many of them, they would actually love to be filmmakers and make films for the future and use that as a, a... income generation source so that they can live in their communities and make film on the side. It's sort of like Bollywood but from a Thai tribal perspective and they want to make those kinds of films they want to make fun films, all sorts of films so not just serious documentaries so long term the view is that it's a potential poverty alleviation scheme in terms of a community development perspective. So the documentary that we filmed last year focuses on the lives of women girls who've been or are child brides it discusses their life journey and it gives a, uh, a range of voices. Families who still participate in child marriage, balanced against those who believe the practice is outdated or being misinterpreted. And interestingly, one of the biggest villages that we worked in has a village headman, which is kind of a strange term, but that's the, the word, the terminology a headman. And it's the first village that has a female headman uh, in a Hmong community in Thailand. And she's a groundbreaker. And she's on the streets campaigning against this kind of thing because she's seen the destructive nature of it. So she's involved in the documentary process as well. And obviously it's in the Hmong language and will be aired in villages in sort of traditional old-style go-to-a-village and have a a community airing and then follow-up. So the idea is this will create a dialogue in communities about these sorts of problems that are there. A different project altogether, but... It's a different type of documentary and a very personal one that's being used more for young people's development. It's actually their own reality TV. And what we found in working with young people in tribal communities is it's very difficult for them to open up and talk about their problems. And one thing that we've done is we've given them video cameras where they film their life. And for a lot of them, it's really difficult to talk about their futures. And so this project was developed... For young people in villages to document their lives through videography and photography and what their brief was was very simple go to your community for a month film your life how you want it to be and what you need to achieve your goals and so these kids just embraced it they embraced the technology we had cheap little cameras that they took back and they filmed their lives and then they came back after a month and then that became a tool for them to discuss their future and and their life and how they wanted it to be. And it's been hugely successful in giving these kids direction in terms of future career projection and so forth, education and so forth. So it's a different type of development, it's a different type of documentary, but the processes have been quite exciting to see. And so strategies and career plans have been developed through this process of using media. So essentially, what the research is showing so far is that media in this globalised world that we live in, has a key role in impacting young people's lives. And that's what we're aiming to follow up in the next few years as we follow these processes through. Signal and Rogers argue media should be used for three main reasons. Firstly, social development problems are escalating around the world and resources to tackle these problems are scarce. Secondly, entertainment represents one of the most important megatrends of this era, The hard-to-research rural poor are now more accessible through new media technology. And three, carefully designed media messages can help educate audiences, promote pro-social behaviour and economic profitability. In November, I guess the the acceptance of this is fairly wide now, and in November I've been invited to go back to Thailand um, as an external auditor with AusAid to review some of these practices that they're funding. And they've just sunk... I think it's almost $2 million into MTV Thailand who've just um, got this um, for the last three years have been developing this type of strategy and they've got, it's called the MTV exit strategy and it's aimed at, I guess, raising awareness among young Thai people of human trafficking and so they, sh- they make movies and they show them on MTV and the reach has been phenomenal and they were saying that after one movie and after exit surveys, the awareness had risen by about 30% in people of the dangers of human trafficking. And so AusAid have been funding this as a key initiative in their anti-human trafficking strategies in Thailand. So it's not just something that's on the fringe, it's something that's being embraced by key um, development agencies around the world, and USAID also support that. In conclusion... In terms of the Hill Tribe context in Thailand, where ethnicities have a rich oral history and an oral tradition, folk tales with morals are an integral part of a child's non-formal education. So based on the cultural history and the um, cultural basis within these groups, documentaries work wonderfully in terms of an education campaign. They provide a key opportunity to develop a culturally relevant educational tool. And these endeavours have a key role in addressing and countering human exploitation in these communities. I stress it must be part of a holistic process, and further research needs to be done to really analyse the effectiveness and to fine tune these products so that they have a maximum impact in terms of their outreach. So that's that's it. Great. Thank you very much, Scott. Thank you. For more Griffith University podcasts go to www.griffith.edu.au forward slash podcasts.